Welcome. We're so glad you've tuned in to the weekly sermon podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia, a dynamic multicultural church near Valley Forge. We want to welcome you into an experience with God and into the care of His family, and we believe this message will be a blessing to you. Today's sermon is a part of our series, Waymaker, Take the Journey with Jesus. God really is, as the song says, our waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. I believe this message will help you have faith in God for whatever challenges you're facing right now. Again, welcome. I'm Ed Crenshaw, the pastor. Excited to continue our sermon series, Waymaker. Today's message being Miracle Worker. Our God is a miracle-working God. A few years ago, we had a member whose neighbor had a heart problem. And our church member said to his neighbor, If you'll come to my church and let my pastor pray for you, I guarantee you God will heal you. Well, the gentleman never did show up. I never did meet him. But I really believe that that member had the kind of faith that God would have responded to and that his neighbor would have been healed. Having said that, I also want to admit, I can never guarantee you at a specific place or specific time that God will do exactly what I ask him to do. I can't, in other words, guarantee you a specific miracle. But one thing I can guarantee you, our God is a God of miracles. He is the miracle worker, and he's still doing miracles today. I want to preach to you about a miracle that Jesus performed, and it's the feeding of the 4,000. Now, I don't believe I've ever preached on this passage from Mark 8, because I've always gravitated to a very similar miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And why not? The feeding of the 5,000 is actually the only miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus that is repeated in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only one, so it must have a very special and powerful message. And so I've gravitated toward that. And why not? Because the feeding of the 4,000 is not in all four Gospels. And the feeding of the 4,000 has some similar characteristics and messages. You see Jesus performing a miracle of feeding of thousands of people. You see the disciples kind of struggling with whatever's going on there in their minds and in their faith. You see Jesus addressing or confronting the Pharisees. Both miracles of feeding of the 5,000 and then of the 4,000 are also followed by other miracles. In the case of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus performs immediately after the healing of a man who was deaf. And then after the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus heals a man who is blind. And uh, there's some spiritual significance in that because these passages are addressing spiritual deafness and blindness. So, you know, why not deal with the uh, miracle of the, fo- the 5,000 being fed instead of the 4,000? Well, there are some differences. The primary difference being this. The feeding of the 5,000 took place in a Jewish part of the country, in the area of Jesus' ministry. And we would assume then that most of Jesus' hearers and the beneficiaries of his miracle of feeding were Jewish 
whereas the feeding of the 4,000 takes place in a Gentile territory with presumably predominantly Gentile beneficiaries. Those who were fed were Gentiles. And I believe that's important because there is a term used in these passages about being far off, generally to signify those who are Gentiles, but that includes us. It's to say those who are far off are also recipients of Jesus' love, his ministry of compassion, his ministry of miracles. And being far off is not just for the Gentiles who live in Jesus' day. We are among those who are far off. We're far off not only geographically, we are far off in terms of time, yet God is still a miracle-working God. So I pray that this passage will raise your faith level today to expect to experience the compassion of Jesus in ways that only Jesus can demonstrate it. So let's start with Mark chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance, a far way, far off. They were Gentiles. His disciples answered, But where in this wilderness, where in this remote place, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now notice the first thing in this passage a little bit different from the feeding of the 5,000 is that this situation, this miracle that takes place is initiated by Jesus. It's initiated by His compassion. He takes the initiative here. I have compassion. Again, reading verses 1 through 3, during those days another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. They had perhaps brought a little bit of food along with them. Maybe they didn't know how long they would be out in the wilderness with Jesus, but by this time they had nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, what is significant about this situation in terms of the need for a miracle? I believe that the most significant aspect of the need that's presented here and the cause of Jesus' compassion is not that it was a huge kind of situation, not that it was a life or death situation. It's merely that they had gone three days without food and some might collapse on the journey back. That's not life and death. I remember when I was a kid hearing about uh, hearing from our preacher in our little church in Kentucky who had been a Marine in the South Pacific in World War II and he shared about a time that he and one of his fellow Marines got separated from his unit because of the combat situation that they were in and they spent three days in a foxhole without any food 
And he said that after they were rescued and they were reunited with their unit, that the very first thing he did, he said, the first thing I did was eat three pounds of bacon. I think he might have been eating three pounds of bacon every day since then. No, I don't know. I'm kidding. But first thing I did was eat three pounds of bacon, and then to top it all off, they had to pump my stomach because I ate so much at one time. Now, for a 13 or 14-year-old kid, that really fascinated me. The whole idea of, you know, his being in combat and going three days without food and eating three pounds of bacon. I mean, how impressive is that? And then to have his stomach pump, I mean, that, that sounds like a youth pastor kind of sermon. But it wasn't. It was a regular sermon. And I remember talking about it with my father afterwards. And in my mind, three days without food, he must have been very near the point of death. But my dad said, no, people can go three days without food. He was not in a life or death situation. And I've found out since then that, indeed, people can very easily go three days and even more without any food. Of course, we have to have water, but we can go without food a long time. I mean, I'm carrying more reserves than I would like to be carrying right now. But three days without food are not a life and death matter. And that's the same in Jesus' day. Yes, some of them might have had an issue getting back home, but most of them would have been able to make it home fine. And yet, what's Jesus' response to this low-grade situation, if we want to call it that? He has compassion. You know what I think that means for us? I think that it means that whatever we face, even if it seems rather small in the whole scheme of things, that it draws Jesus' compassion. So you have something small? Jesus is not too busy. Jesus is not uncaring. Jesus cares. He's not too busy for you. And he has compassion. And if he has compassion in these seemingly small areas of life, guess what? Whenever you face something huge, he's still the God of compassion. You still have a miracle-working God who has compassion on you. So, of course, the disciples already knew this about Jesus, right? They had seen his compassion in the feeding of the 5,000, and now in a very similar situation, they should just automatically know that Jesus has compassion and that he's going to do something about it. It should be easy-peasy for Jesus. But instead, the disciples are confused. They have a poor understanding. You see, they have a certain degree of spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness. They still have an issue with doubt for whatever reason. And they see their situation as being one of impossibilities. How many of you know there's no impossibility with God? But Mark's pointing out that this is another situation of a wilderness experience in which there is pressure, there is human need, and they face the situation of human impossibility. Even if they had the money to buy the food to feed the 4,000, it just wasn't there. It's like trying to find toilet paper on the shelves in Costco right now. It's just not there. They face human impossibility. Now, I think that's probably commendable to recognize and to acknowledge when we face a situation that is humanly impossible because the reality is in our day and age 
I think we tend to believe that technology and good organization and the government can take care of every need that we could possibly face. That's why a few days ago, our president might have been saying things like, I have this under control. And then we also hear from the other side, if only we were in charge, we would have everything under control. Well, let me just suggest that your malarkey meter ought to be sounding very loudly when we hear that from either side because the reality is with a current coronavirus pandemic we are facing something beyond human control at least beyond our immediate human control i'm hoping for the day when everything is kind of wrapped up bound together we have a vaccine that will take care of it but right now what we are facing is a situation where we are not in control. Nobody is, except our God. God's in control. So, you know, I thank God that he's given us the capacity to, to do so many things, to exercise caution, to have medication, to have medical technology, but we are facing a human impossibility for which the only answer ultimately, ultimately, and this is true of any human impossibility, the answer ultimately is God. That's why calling a day of prayer is so appropriate. And whatever our political affiliation, we ought to be acknowledging God in prayer. Where the disciples missed it was not that they thought, well, if we just had enough enough human resources we could take care of everything they knew they were facing an impossibility where they messed up was they doubted jesus whatever our situation let's not make the mistake of missing out on who god is and what god can do he is a miracle worker and I know I've seen on social media some of the things making fun of healing ministries and things of that nature and you know I believe humor is appropriate in a time like this, but let's not become so skeptical and so doubting that we fail to believe that God is still a miracle worker and still doing miracles today. Most of us, if I ask to raise your hands, if you've ever experienced a miracle, would probably say yes. How easy it is to forget how easy it is to forget. In fact, later on in this passage, Jesus says, don't you remember to his disciples how easy it is to forget what God has done. Last week, we looked at Israel being delivered from slavery. God showed power. He brought miraculous judgments against Egypt so that Egypt would let Israel go. Then he opened up a way for Israel to pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. And yet, a few days later, the people of Israel seemed to have forgotten and created for themselves false gods. And the disciples here, they've seen a miracle already that's in circumstances so similar Yet they seem to have forgotten that Jesus has a way to meet the need that they're facing right then. I wonder if maybe the disciples just didn't want to presume upon Jesus. 
you know and it's good not to presume upon God like I said you can't guarantee anything and can't presume that you know we can be negligent and God's going to take care of it through a miracle it's still a good idea to wash your hands to use hand sanitizer to practice social distance to uh not engage in large gatherings which is why we're meeting online right now those are good and prudent choices so we shouldn't presume upon God but at the same time I have to wonder how many miracles do we miss out on because we're afraid to presume upon God how, how many miracles do we miss out on because we think oh well God wouldn't want to do a miracle in this circumstance and that could be part of what the disciples are dealing with maybe they knew that in Jewish territory with a Jewish crowd that Jesus would have compassion but now we're with a bunch of Gentiles in Gentile territory and I don't know if Jesus has compassion on them that could have been going through the disciples mind but I want to encourage you to understand this Jesus is the same He's the same Jesus, he's the same miracle worker in Gentile territory as he was in Jewish territory. Jesus doesn't change. What he's done before, he'll do it again. I love that song, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe you'll do it again. We need to sing that again, and we need to believe it, that what God has done before, he's still going to do, he's still able to do. What he's done for others, he will do for you. What he's done for Israel in ancient days, he is doing again in our day. What we hear about God doing miraculously in some mission field at the far corner of the earth, God wants to do right here where we are today. Our God has not changed. He's still the God of all compassion. He's the God of miracles, and he's still doing miracles today. God is still providing bread in the wilderness in this wilderness experience we can count on our God the disciples missed out on that seemingly they doubted they didn't really trust that Jesus was going to do anything and so what does Jesus do does he set them aside and just go ahead and do whatever he had in mind to do by himself no in spite of their spiritual deafness in spite of the disciples' spiritual blindness, in spite of their shortcomings, their doubts, their disbelief, Jesus enlists them in an amazing partnership with himself. He just loves to do that. That's one of our key themes and values here at this church that I believe God has called every follower of Jesus into an amazing partnership with himself. And we see that with Jesus. In fact, what does Jesus do when they say, hey, we don't have any food and we couldn't even buy it if we wanted to? Jesus asked them a question in verse 5. Well, what do you have? What do you have? How many loaves of bread do you have? Seven, they reply. Seven, indicating a number of fullness. There's going to be enough. With God, there is enough. Now, the interesting thing about this question, it's very similar to the one Elisha asked when he met the widow whose husband had died and left them in tremendous debt so that her creditor was now taking her sons to be his slaves. And Elisha comes and asks her, what do you have? She thought nothing. 
But then she remembers she had a little bit of oil, and you might recall that she began to pour that oil into the vessels that she had collected until she poured out so much oil that she had enough to pay off all of her debts and then have even more than enough to live on. It's a very similar question to Moses' situation when he was at the burning bush and God said, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and Moses would say, who, me? Who, who am I to go to Pharaoh? And remember what God asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? What did he have? Nothing but a humble shepherd's staff. But God said, use it. God used that to perform miracles, including the miracle of parting the Red Sea so that Israel could walk across on dry ground. What do you have in your hand? How many loaves do you have? Victory Church, what do you have? I believe this with all my heart. If we will answer that question and we'll say like the disciples obviously did, We'll say, God, this is yours. This is available to you. If we say, God, who we are and what we have are available to you, God will take that and do a miracle with it. A miracle starts with what we have in our hands. And I believe that God has called us to some practical applications to the needs around us right now. We might say, oh, it's only seven loaves. What difference can it make? Let's put it into God's hands and see what God will do with it. Let's be practical in our ministry, in our service to a world around us that is living in fear right now. We're not in fear. We trust in our God. We know he's a miracle-working God. So we already have a leg up on the disciples in that sense that we can say, God, what we have, we give to you. Now multiply it. Be glorified through it and meet needs through it. Show your compassion. I believe this with all of my heart that you have in your possession right now the seed of a miracle. It might not just be the seed for your miracle. It might be the seed for somebody else's miracle. But God has given it to you. It's in your hand. And notice that Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples and they just keep breaking it. We put what we have into Jesus' hands, he'll give it back to us in ways that'll be multiplied many times over. How many times over? Notice verse 8. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Notice the people ate and were satisfied. They didn't just get a little bit that would maybe barely give them the strength to make the journey back home. They ate to the full. The Greek word there leaves no doubt about it. They ate and were fully satisfied. In other words, they had more than enough. And if more than enough to eat was not plenty by itself, there were seven basketfuls left over. Now, the same thing kind of happens with the feeding of the 5,000. What happens after the feeding of the 5,000? There were 12 basketfuls left over, and we believe that was a Jewish crowd because the Greek word for basket in Mark chapter 6 indicates the small Jewish baskets that were very common. 
But in this case, in the feeding of the 4,000, there's a Gentile word that is used for basket. Different Greek word that indicates a big basket. In fact, the same word is used in the book of Acts to describe the basket that the believers put Saul, who became Paul, into to let him down over a wall so that he could escape to safety. It was that big a basket, and there are seven of them. Again, the number of completeness, because God's mission is not complete with just bringing in the Jewish, the people, saving the Jewish people, feeding them, but God wants to reach those who are far off, you and me, far off, like I said before, chronologically and in terms of geography. God is the God of more than enough. That is the emphasis here. In fact, Jesus gives the disciples in the verses that follow a warning. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread with them, so they're blaming each other and arguing with each other about, you know, who forgot the bread, who should have brought the bread. No, we wouldn't do that as disciples of Jesus, would we? But they're doing that. And Jesus, it says in verse 17, was aware of their discussion. Now, notice here, before we read further, that the issue is one of perception. That's why the healing of the deaf man and the healing of the blind man are so integral to the stories of feeding the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus, aware of their discussion, asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Perception. Are your hearts hardened? Let's not harden our hearts to the things of God and the truth of who God is and what God can and wants to do. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Don't you remember? In other words, don't forget. Don't forget what your God has done. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done for others. Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they reply. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Are you perceiving what I want you to perceive, Jesus says. Now, what does he want us to perceive? What is the question that Jesus asked? What are the questions? Was it, what miracle did I do when the people were hungry? Oh, you fed the multitudes. No, that's not the question that he asked. Did he ask, how many did I feed in performing those miracles? No, he just told them the 5,000 to 4,000. What's the question? Not what he did and not for how many, but how much was left over. In other words, the emphasis is on the fact that our God is a more than enough God. How much is left over? Our God is mighty. He's awesome. He's bigger than any problem that you or I face. And God has provision. God is a miracle-working God, and he's still doing miracles today. Right now, we in America, I think we're looking at the lack 
We see the lack in our retirement accounts. We see the lack how far the stock market has dropped. We see the lack in our grocery stores. We see the lack of health care and the lack of a remedy for what we're facing right now. But I'm telling you, God wants us to look at him, who he is. He's the God of compassion. He's the God of all compassion, the Bible says, and he is the miracle-working God. We need miracles in our day as much as we needed them in any other day. We need miracles here and now. And I'm not saying this to hype up this idea of miracles or to give anybody a false sense of hope. I'm telling you that Jesus is our true hope. He is our true source for everything that we need. And God is calling us right now to entrust our lives to Him, to entrust what we have to Him, and believe that He's going to multiply it as He's done in ages past, when during times of calamity and difficulty, the church has risen up in a way that serves a very desperate world. And when we have done that, we have shone with the glory of God. And that's what God wants to do right now. Do you have needs in your life? Do you have situations that you're facing? Are there worries that are keeping you up at night right now? He cares about you. He has compassion for you. Have faith in him. Trust in who he is, who he says he is, and what he can and what he will do. Also, recognize that the same thing is going on around you multiplied many times over with the people whose lives intersect yours. Right now, it might be through social media or through some other means, phone calls and reaching out and showing care and compassion as we plan for March 28th, still a big day of service, making who we are and what we have available to God. Let's expect that the days ahead are going to be Victory Church's best days. What the enemy intends for evil, God's able to turn for good. I don't know what it's going to look like. I can't guarantee a particular miracle, but I can guarantee this. Our God is still the God of miracles. Put your trust in Him. We're going to continue at least through next weekend with online-only services. We don't know what's going to happen after that, but let me encourage you to invite friends and family to tune in. You cannot only get these messages live but they'll still be up and still be available for you to watch later on perhaps with somebody else send the links out invite people to come I'm believing that great things are in store for you and for all of us together God bless you have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll see you again online really soon and in person hopefully very soon after that God bless you Thank you for being with us on this podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia. Because this is being posted at the time of the coronavirus outbreak, we're not able to meet in large gatherings in person. So we're taking the opportunity to relaunch our regular podcasts. You can expect new sermons to be posted by Tuesday of each week. And we'll also be going back into the archives for messages that will be posted on Thursdays. If this message has been a blessing to you, We'd be most thankful if you would like it and then share our podcast with others. You can find out more about Victory Church Philadelphia online at www.getvictory.net or, if it's easier for you, just philly.church. There you can share your prayer requests with us and we really will pray for you personally, individually. And you can also let us know if you've recently chosen to follow Christ so we can send a Bible to you. 
Or if you've been blessed by our ministry and want to help us reach and serve even more people, you could make a donation. We are a church that loves God. We love and serve our community, and we're here to bless you. Stay connected and stay tuned in for some exclusive interviews and content in coming days and weeks. In the meantime, be blessed. Thank you.